Testing, testing. It's on. One, two, one, two. Microphone checker. Microphone wrecker. Microphone picker, picker. <laughs> Alright, let's give this a shot. What is life? What does it mean to heal? I'm a human. Hello, hello? Anybody there? Why are we here? What does this mean? Let's figure it out together. That's fun. Just to come play. Play in the podverse. What are we doing? This is the Turning of the Bones podcast. Hello. Welcome to the Turning of the Bones podcast. I am your host, Colby Marie. Thank you for joining me, you perfectly positive Paulines, you extravagantly excellent errands, and you caring, careful Carolinas. Welcome to the Turning of the Bones podcast. It's so nice to be here with you again. Once again, it is another sunny day here in Denver, Colorado. It has been amazingly pleasant here lately. Highs in the mid-70s, afternoon rain showers, and none of that high desert heat that was rocking us a couple weeks ago between the heat and all the rain, I am excited to report that my garden is thriving. I don't know that in my life I have ever seen such happy squash and zucchini. Uh, It's taken over this massive bed. I've got about six plants going and they are all about two and a half or three feet tall spreading out maybe about three or four feet in circumference and flowering prolifically just the most glorious it's like a orangish yellow it's it's the color that I imagine when you have an insight Uh, kind of an aha moment or you you get something that was kind of unclear it's kind of the color that I imagine in my experience uh, associated with that it's just this kind of indescribably luminous yellowish orangey mangoish sunsetty just supernova and then those flowers turn into food. <laughs> and what, what a miraculous thing that is. And I've mentioned before the peace and calm and the comfort that gardening gave me throughout the pandemic and is continuing to give me. Uh, I've got one large bed and another small bed going. Um, my tomato plants are starting to take off. My cucumbers are starting to get some some legs. I've already harvested some kale. And just 
I'm so incredibly humbled by the process of growing my own food. And I'm continuously blown away by the miracle of it that it starts I mean, well, one, it takes all of the elements, right? It takes earth, it takes water, it takes fire or the sun, it takes wind, and it, it takes space to grow the food that nourishes me and all of us, whether it's a chicken or whether it's uh, a kale leaf or a zucchini or a squash, that there is this latent energy in a seed, that there is latent energy in the earth, that there is this beautiful alchemical reaction that happens when earth and water and seed and soil and sky and sun and wind and rain and space all come together to burst something into creation that previously wasn't there <laughs> and you know, the whole process is amazing. I remember starting, you know, in the spring, I'd moved into this new place. I talked with my uh, potential roommates about the desire to have a garden and kind of planned out some areas that hadn't been used yet. And then I started dreaming about what I wanted to do and drew some diagrams, I did some planning, I uh, thought about what foods I like the most, that's why I'm growing so much kale. I could eat kale every morning with eggs, uh, shifted into a smoothie season because it's a little bit warm out, so I don't eat that quite as often, but it's quite possibly my favorite breakfast in the world is eggs over medium, some sautéed kale, some sauerkraut, and half an avocado, salt and pepper. And, you know, sometimes I mix it up. Sometimes I'll hard boil my eggs. Sometimes I'll do over easy. But I decided I wanted to grow what I love and what nourishes me. And, you know, it, it, the earth was there. I didn't didn't create the earth you know I did have to buy some some soil and some organic uh, compost and mix it all together um, but I really started from scratch one of the beds was already made and this beautiful uh, flagstone retaining wall was already there the previous year my roommate had planted wildflowers and uh, giant and large sunflowers there 
And so that soil had been used, um, but this other area I needed to build a bed. And so through the grace of uh, another one of my roommate's kindness, uh, he found some bricks on Craigslist and brought them home. Um, it's really nice, about nine inch bricks that looked a little bit cooler than your, your average brick that you see that's about six inches, maybe three inches tall, six inches long. Um, anyhow, most of you probably know what a brick looks like. <laughs> um, but he got me these uh, beautiful red, uh, uniquely long bricks. And so I, towards the end of the pandemic, when, you know, we were still under a mask mandate and places were still closed for most in-person things, I set out to build a really large flower bed, uh, garden bed. And I got the shovel, got my gloves on, got a new, now I'm just using my old sun hat. I have since gotten a new sun hat because my old sun hat fell apart. But, uh, you know, I had my sun hat on, I got my gloves, and I started digging. And I turned the soil. I pulled out the grass and the weeds that were growing in this area that was going to become my bed. It's about a, I'd say, 10 feet long, four feet wide bed I was planning. Um, I needed to build it up about three feet on one end down to the height of two bricks on the other end, so about I don't know, eight inches. So there's a little bit of, little bit of math, a little bit of, I gotta pull on some of my experience from construction, uh, my love for um, building things and seeing them come together. And so I set out to make this garden bed and I started by turning the soil, digging in the earth, pulling the weeds, kind of cleaning out, uh, the things that weren't going to help my garden grow and you know for me there's always a little bit of sadness with that part because you know weeds and grass you know it can be troublesome but it's also like when I'm if, I, if I'm looking at it I'm like oh little buddy you're just doing your best there aren't you you know like you've lived here before me you know I'm sorry that I have to uproot you. I know you, you worked really hard to send down your little roots and shoot up your little grass leaves and you know I'm sorry that I need to move you. Same thing to the weeds you know weeds. I was raised in Ohio where they use in the 80s especially they used a lot of pesticides on lawns because uh, lawns were kind of a a symbol of status and class and so how nice your yard was uh, you know in that culture reflected how well you were doing you know keeping up with the Joneses you gotta have a nice yard so in that yard you can't have dandelions so I was raised under like the false belief that dandelions were just bad you know and weeds were bad and I've, I've since come to learn the function of many different plants um, not an expert by any means 
but I've come to learn that uh, dandelions are actually a good sign because they're uh, cleansing the soil. You know, they're helping the soil to maintain the proper uh, pH balance, the proper chemical balance, uh, lots of other sciencey stuff that I don't really know about, but uh, just kind of shifted that framework from my understanding as a kid. Um, and then I've, you know, since come to learn that dandelion is actually medicinal and you can use it in teas and you can use the root and you can use the flowers and <laughs> um, a pretty huge shift away from the prevailing thought and the prevailing attitudes towards the earth and the land that came from I would say capitalism, colonization, the patriarchy, white supremacy, all those all those things kind of coming together to create a lot of misunderstandings, you know, the 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 blatant rejection of indigenous wisdom uh this idea of mastery over the land, uh, scientific achievement leading to higher crop yields. And, you know, I, I, I know that that's had, you know, good and bad repercussions. Um, allowed us to feed more people, society to grow, whether that's good or bad, who knows? I'm not really trying to argue that right now. But, uh, you know, <laughs> all that to say, you know, when I'm, turning the beds I'm really trying to honor the life that that earth had already put forth even if it is in a backyard in a neighborhood somebody else has lived here before somebody else has worked it that you know that area is kind of sacred you know it's going to be growing food that will keep me alive uh, it's growing food that will bring me enjoyment it's growing food that will sustain and nourish me and so I love that part you know it's a little hard on my back now that I'm in my mid-40s using a shovel all day um, but so I turned the soil and I laid out my foundation and I built some some brick retaining walls and you know, turned the soil again, pulled out s some grass that I missed, and kind of keep working the soil is one of my favorite, I don't know, I'd say it's a spiritual practice. I would say that it's a contemplative practice. Um, it's a psychological maintenance practice. Um, because you can turn the soil and you're always going to find something new, you know, and you can keep turning the soil and hope to have no evidence of weeds, no grasses, no uh, plants that might compromise your crop. But at some point you're going to have to say, okay, this is, this is as good as I can get it. I'll pull the weeds as they come. I'll tend to my plants. And yeah, then I mixed in my, uh, my fresh organic topsoil, my fresh organic uh, potting mixes, and uh, I've got an empty bed waiting for seed. And 
here in Colorado, we had an extraordinarily uh, long, wet winter-spring mix, so uh, I needed to wait quite a while to plant my seeds. Um, I did some starters this year, which was a first and really cute. I don't know, watching, you know, doing a little starter tray and planting seeds in there and seeing my tomatoes kind of sprout for the first time. It's like, I don't know, it's like watching a Disney movie in your living room. Um, talking to the plants and uh, get really excited about what I was going to do. And I turned the other larger bed and uh, was gifted some seeds by my neighbor, which was really beautiful. So once the, the last freeze and the last snow had, had come, you know, it was time to move on to the next piece, which is planting my seeds. And did some research this year because I'm, I'm new to this, so I wanted to have enough information to get me going. You know, I'm, I'm fine with failing. I think fail, failure is important. It's learning. So, you know, I, I didn't expect all of my plants to take off. I was really hoping they would. Um, but I planted all these babies. And I planted three tomato plants, uh, three cucumber plants, about six kale, one shard, some microgreens, some peppers, um, and some various herbs. And then I, I planted my squash and some more wildflowers and large sunflowers. And all along, you know, I was, there was a bit, a bit of uh, excitement mixed with anxiety, you know, like, is this going to work? Are these going to take off? Um, uh, going from the the unknown to the known, you know, the the excitement of wanting to see something bear fruit and the fear of what if it doesn't? What if this doesn't work? And so the seeds were planted. Um, and for anybody who's planted seeds, you know, it's like kind of a, it's a joyous and anticlimactic moment where <laughs> you've done all this work and for all intents and purposes, your beds basically look the same. Um, I didn't, I put the tomatoes I had starters for, but everything else has been growing in the beds from seeds. So for the most part, uh, my beds still just look like, you know, beautiful piles of dirt and earth. And then it was time to, to tend them. And the next step, you know, is to, for me, is to kind of start watching the weather and one of the joys and the absolute gifts of the pandemic for me was I feel like my body and my soul or my spirit was really able to unplug from the rhythms of capitalism and 
society and I was really able then in my isolation to reacclimate and realign myself with the the rhythms and the seasons of a day um, of sunrise sunset the height of the sun in the middle of the day the increasing or decreasing hours of light as we spun through winter um, towards the solstice and have now since spun back around to the summer solstice and I think the yeah the summer solstice was about a week ago and boy was that a long day holy cow <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a bit surreal I was like is the sun ever gonna set um, and for a minute just was like when I was younger I used to think maybe I could live in Alaska you know where the days are longer or shorter depending on the the season it's like holy shit i i don't know that i could live somewhere you know in a in a geographical location where i'm sure i could i can acclimate to anything but it was just it was absolutely surreal to think like about people who experience two hours of darkness or uh inversely you know, 22 hours of darkness throughout different parts of the season. And so, as the seeds were planted, I, you know, I started getting up with the sunrise and checking the soil to see how much moisture it had uh, to make sure the seeds weren't drying out and the soil wasn't ever fully drying out because here in Colorado that can happen pretty quickly it's pretty arid high desert and so I just started waiting for my seeds to sprout and the joy that comes for me when I see something sprout and the joy I feel when I know that something I have planted is taking root. It's really indescribable. Um, and it's been an interesting uh, early summer here. It's, it got really hot really quickly, so there were lots of days where I thought things were going to burn up or cook, and I was scared for my babies. Uh, I was nervous about things that were out of my control, like the heat and the moisture. Um, and so I got up early and I would water my beds in the morning on those hot, hot days. And I would wait for the sun to go down and I would water them again at night. And then we had... Oh, I actually had to leave town. And so... I entrusted the watering of my beds to one of my roommates, uh, the one who had found me the bricks and had taught me a few things about uh, what he knew about gardening and farming. And I was nervous to leave my babies. I <laughs> um, was nervous to trust them in somebody else's care. Um, 
but while I was gone, it was really sweet. He sent me pictures of the zucchini coming up and things sprouting. And uh, I checked the weather and he relayed to me that it was raining every day and things were really thriving. And I came back to a really happy couple of garden beds and I was really ecstatic um, to think that these were going to yield some crops. Um, I was going to be able to eat really fresh food. Most of my life being an American raised in the Midwest in uh, the 80s and 90s, I didn't, I wasn't raised to, let me say, let me rephrase that. Society didn't promote the eating of uh, fresh fruits and vegetables, and I didn't even really know what that was. You know, most of the food in America comes from other countries. There's shipping times. It comes from other parts of the country. And so it's very rare that you're eating regionally fresh foods. And I know that with the marketing campaign and the success of Whole Foods in the last 20 years, that eating local and buying fresh in farmers markets have really become ubiquitous they're everywhere and i think we're returning really gloriously to a remembrance of how fresh food makes us feel and if you've ever had a fresh egg from a chicken versus a store-bought egg you know what i'm talking about like the color of the yolks are richer they feel more nutrient dense when you eat them and the same thing with uh, vegetables and fruits I'll never forget I as a reward to myself for completing my masters and uh, making it through like I think my first five years of teaching in public education I decided to take myself to Europe and This was a big trip for a lot of reasons that I won't go into now. Maybe I'll do another podcast on that. But one of the things that really struck me while I was there and that I brought back was learning how to eat differently and learning and seeing how other cultures approach food versus how America had taught me to approach food, you know. McDonald's and Burger King and Taco Bell and microwave dinners <laughs> you know those were all like this get it quick is it convenient can it fit into my busy hustle and bustle capitalist day so that um, eating you know I think I was raised to believe that it was a chore and going to Italy and seeing that food and eating is a ritual a celebration of connection with other people, a, a time where lots of different people with lots of different attitudes who are friends can come together even if they disagree and they can disagree about whose grandmother makes which pasta dish better like vehemently but there's still there was still so much community and love and I mean, the food was just incredible. I have a friend who moved there 
and married a woman from Genoa. And the way they ate in their home and the way they ate with their friends, um, you know, everything, it was the first time I'd had unpasteurized dairy, you know. I thought I was allergic to dairy my whole life. Not true. Processed. Uh, mainstream American dairy. Yuck. Bad for your body. I went there and I my body felt amazing. I was eating fresh grains and fresh dairy and fresh vegetables and fresh fruits. And um, it wasn't only the high of traveling and experiencing something new. It was the quality of the food. It was the quality of the connection around something that is so vital for each and every one of us. And I remember coming back and I haven't eaten breakfast the same. That, that greens and eggs uh, with some fruit or, you know, kraut or other vegetables that that meal that I've come to love was really inspired by you know how I ate there and what my friends taught me about eating and what I have since learned about food and uh, the impact of processed food on your body and so a little backstory about why I was so excited to see my babies coming up in the garden. Um, I've eaten some of the kale and it's amazing how much less I need to eat when food is fresh. Um, I could have two eggs and a, a cup or two of cooked kale and it's as filling as a huge Chipotle burrito. <laughs> um, Maybe not. I mean, a, a Chipotle burrito is pretty ridiculous. That's just bordering on uh, gluttonous most of the time. I don't think I've ever felt too good after I've eaten a whole one of those. But the uh, <laughs> point being is that I didn't know what satiation was because I was eating energetically empty food. And... I love how my garden and my relationship to my garden also, you know, it has all these ancillary benefits. I think that's the right word. Um, where it, it gives my day structure. It, it's kind of that gentle discipline that I've mentioned. I know that if I want this thing to sustain itself and to thrive and to yield a crop that nourishes me that I'm going to need to tend it. I'm gonna need to tend it in, in morning and at night, you know, depending on the rain. At least go check in on it and see how the soil's doing. Um, I'm going to need to weed it probably once a week. I mean, <laughs> that large bed that I, t I I, I turned this, the 10 by 4 bed and there have been quite a few weeds and just plants that are, I don't know, some plants are just 
they're, they're mind-blowingly fascinating. Like, these things had to be three feet down below all of the soil that I put on top of it. And he's like, I don't even know what kind of plant it is, but it, they come up and they are so strong. It's like a ground cover. And the roots go down like a foot. And they have somehow pushed up from down there. You know, they were latent and waiting for enough heat to make a sprint up for the sun. Um, but my other larger bed with all the squash, I didn't do quite as good a job weeding and turning the bed because it was just huge. I mean, I just didn't have enough time um, or energy to really get in there. And so about once a week, I, I fill a five gallon bucket up with weeds and uh, they're not all weeds. They're uh, some of its medicinal plants, like uh, an edible plants. There's some uh, lamb's ear. There is some. Uh, oh, what's that other one called? Mulva. Um, really beautiful plants that you can eat um, that have medicinal properties, but they they also are fairly prolific and were beginning to uh, infringe upon my babies so I had to ask them to leave and so once a week I've got to go out there and fill up about a five gallon bucket of uh, plants that uh, my garden is competing with and it's uh it gives gives me some structure it gives me something to love and soon very soon I will be getting tomatoes uh, I hope to get some cucumbers my squash are all about three inches, and zucchinis are about three inches long. And I just, I can't get over and I'm, I'm constantly and continuously awed and humbled by growing my own food and tending gardens and I've always loved plants I've had I've had one plant since I was 20 it's huge now it's a dracaena and it's you know it's the size of a small couch um, it's enormous I've always loved plants but they don't take quite as much work as a garden and you know I'm I'm blown away about the analogies, by the analogies, I'm blown away by the the metaphor of tending a garden and how that really applies to my life. Um, and as a contemplative practice and as a spiritual practice, It, it teaches me a lot. You know, the, the idea that I'm always supported. Right? Like, my I didn't need to... The earth has always been there. I didn't need to make earth. <laughs> you know, I didn't... I don't have the capacity or the knowledge or the power 
to make earth. You know, I can compost, I can take what's already been made and feed earth, I can, but the earth has always been there, you know, supporting me. And I think that's such a beautiful reminder. Um, quite frequently when I'm feeling emotionally overwhelmed, I just go lay on the earth. And I'm reminded that, you know, I've been able to do that since I've had a body. You know, I can feel the pull of gravity on my bones. I can feel something holding me when I feel alone or scared or lost. <sighs> a little teary just thinking about it. Um, And, and that connection has never gone away. That support, you know, the feeling of the earth under my feet when I walk, the feeling of the earth under my body when I lay in my bed at night, that somehow this planet has always held me. And, I mean, you can look at that scientifically, or you can look at that spiritually, but regardless, there has been a presence in my life that has been consistent and steady, and it's, it's held me when other people weren't around or when I couldn't find love for myself. And like, how, how beautiful is that? Um, and I can engage with it, you know, I can... It's not just exacting its will on me, you know. It's not like, you know, I can't control the rain. I have very little influence over, you know, it also reminds me of what I do and don't have influence over or what I am and I'm not in relationship with. Like, I'm the clouds, you know. It's not like I can and move a cloud. I can't create a... Uh, you know, collectively we can come together and change the environment. Obviously, global warming is a real thing and climate change and the impact of humans on the earth as a whole. But like I have very little independent control over that. But the earth, you know, I can work with the earth. I can get in there and till the soil. I can have a sense of agency over my well-being, um, which is it's super important. To feel like you have, you know, even if, if control is an illusion, even if choice, you know, is like neurology is starting to prove like there's the illusion of choice, right? Like our mind, some, somehow a choice has been made before we are aware of it. Um, and neurology is, is studying this and it, the evidence is pretty conclusive that, <laughs> you know, I didn't. The choice for my breakfast was already made. You know, I, I, there's the illusion of choice, but it's sometime before some other process that we don't yet understand um, is making choice. But I, I don't think that interferes with our need to feel like we can interact and have some autonomy and agency in our life. And I think working 
tilling the soil is a great example of that for me because I get to get in there and tangibly feel the earth. I get to move it. Um, and inside of that, you know, like, I love the metaphor of like, and for me, pulling weeds is really a, a psychological, spiritual, emotional practice of like, in my brain there are things that grow right their thoughts their beliefs their stories that grow around the stuff I'm trying to nourish so for example I'm trying to grow this podcast uh, I've, I've done a lot of work right I've, I've worked the soil I've <laughs> I've set up a foundation I've created a, a, a bed a container for this thing to exist and that doesn't mean it's just going to keep going. You know, I have relationships. I have things that impact me emotionally that I need to tend to the same way I would tend my garden. You know, if, if, if a thought is growing out of control, like, what's one that I deal with? People aren't safe. Um, which is true and untrue, but when I get really out of balance with that one, like no one in the world is safe. So I need to go into my psychological, mental, spiritual, emotional garden and look at look at what's growing. Like, am I watering the weeds? Am I watering the medicinal plants? Am I watering the things that are nourishing this? And so when I go to the garden and I'm pulling weeds, I'm also, like that time is also set aside to see where my mind's at and tend tend my garden and remind myself of you know what am I what am I tending you know I'm tending my relationship with my partner you know making sure that it it's grounded making sure that it has some dynamic flow like water does making sure that it's got some passion and some fire <laughs> making sure that it's got some uh some wind some space to to move and, and the space to move around you know like relationships need the elements i need the elements a garden needs the elements in the right proportion to to flourish and so I like pulling weeds and I like that it gives me a space you know it's hard for me to sit down and journal about my feelings it's hard for me to I get lost in my brain like if I just sit and contemplate without a physical or kinesthetic component it's hard for me to process emotions so sometimes I need something to do it could be skateboarding it could be walking it could be working out it could be weeding but i love that for me weeding helps me it's like i have an embodied like something i do with my kinesthetically that mirrors the process that's going on psychologically because i'll get lost in the the chaotic nature of my brain and if i don't have something physical to mirror 
the process I'm trying to do internally, I, I find it really challenging to to keep my to keep my head clean. And so I, I weed, and I try to look at what is a medicinal thought. What what's something that is grounded? What is what needs to come out because it's suffocating the root system of the things I'm trying to grow or strangling the root system or <clears throat> blocking the light from something I'm trying to grow. And <clears throat> these are all really great practices for me because my brain kind of, and I think my spirit really leans toward the mystic and the mythical and the spiritual. And so having you know, it does two things. It like it gives me a, a routine. I wake up, go water the garden. Once or twice a week, or once a day, I'll go pull a few weeds. Um, and it gives me something to come back to that is like a visual example of what I'm doing on what I'm doing in an intangible way in my brain. Um, brains are insanely complex. And after something like the pandemic, after a, a childhood full of experiences that are not yet resolved, you know, or not fully resolved or that still uh, get in the way of the things I'm trying to grow, you know, I don't think I'm alone here and those experiences can become overwhelming inside the vacuum of my brain. And in an attempt to not believe the stories that I think or that I've created that help me feel safe and to try to move towards truth is an intention, even in the face of extreme discomfort, I, I, I found that gardening provides me with a very nice metaphor for what it means to be a human and what it means to have relationships and you know there's this really beautiful ground cover I think it's called milkweed and it has these really beautiful white flowers and like when I see it I'm just like mesmerized by it um, and it's growing kind of along the back fence behind my garden beds and it's it's really a beautiful ground cover um but what what this does what this plant does is as it sprawls it will wrap its vines around other plants and strangle them and so i find that to, to be a really great metaphor for like you know some relationships look really great you know, and really flashy and draw you in, you know, it could be uh, an abusive pattern you have with a partner or someone at work or a parent. Um, and and they, they give you these these shiny flowers from time to time, but ultimately they're kind of wrapping their, their roots around you and uh, like holding you down and keeping you from growing. And I was really hesitant to yank this weed out last week 
um, because it's so it's just so damn pretty. I love the flowers. They look like little uh, almost like uh, tea saucers from like some from Alice in Wonderland or something. They're just super delicate white little beautiful flowers. And you know, I, I started weeding and I, I put off. You know, I was watching it and seeing and seeing if it was getting around some of my plants and I, I didn't notice that it got around some of my sunflowers it was coming for my tomatoes it was getting near to the zucchini and I thought that uprooting this or tearing it out would make me really sad but after I cut some of it off uh, the things I was trying to grow I looked at it and I just had this intuition, like, you're not going to stop. You don't have the capacity to stop trying to smother these plants. Because the way that you feel alive and the way that you need to grow is harmful to the things I'm trying to grow. And so I just started pulling this shit up, like, and it felt so good. It felt amazing. And... I was surprised because, I don't know, it was like this subconscious release for me. And I've been doing a lot of work personally in the last five years about uh, boundaries, about uh, plugging my energy leaks with people who take more from me than I, I get you know I, I, I'm happy to give but I'd like for that to be balanced I'd like for there to be like a, a good harmonious exchange there some elemental balance you know and you know sitting here now thinking about that I've had really abusive relationships and I, I want to I want to temper the word abusive like I think that's kind of a that's a hot hot word hot 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 I've had a lot of relationships with hurt people um, whose behaviors that in turn either stifled my growth limited my growth tried to direct my growth and I've worked really hard to, you know, like with the milkweed, it's like I worked really hard to try to let it be. And, you know, sometimes whether it's a, a, a job that is taking too much from you, like public education was for me, you know, there was no end to that system's inherent desire to burn people out because it's a system of white supremacy it's a system of control and uh, colonialism and capitalism and that system while on an interpersonal level like when you zoom right in you know like my mentor yeah she cared about me the vice principals I worked with I think cared about me but a little bit less and so if you keep zooming out from the the 
the small to the large is that system like eventually you get far enough out and the people in charge it just there's no capacity for them to care all the way down and they think they do but that was you know that's an example of a relationship that I needed to end and a weed I, uh, a beautiful weed you know there's there were all kinds of glorious things about teaching I, I still in touch with tons of my students and I love them dearly and I miss all of those flowers you know they weren't the problem um, I don't think I'm losing this metaphor quite yet I think I still got my hands on this the reins of this one <laughs> but for me you know like that process with that particular beautiful plant I needed to remove it so the things that I am trying to grow can grow and I've had to end another you know or at least create a lot of space between another draining relationship and myself uh, with my dad that's needed to take another break there were a lot of really emotionally harmful and confusing and shamey texts around Father's Day for me um, so that that needed a pause and it, it, it's working in the garden has really helped me be able to not dehumanize or depersonalize but like it's taken some of the heaviness out of making decisions to create space around the relationships I have and the frequency with which I can hang out with some people and the ways in which you know, I've got old friends that I've known for 20 years, old drinking buddies, and I love them. Like, I love them like they are family. I can't hang out with them every week, you know? Like, if I go over and have a beer or two, it turns into a night. It turns into three days of not feeling good. Like, I got to do that once a year, tops, <laughs> you know? Like, we can do some stuff in the afternoon or, like, try to, like, set up the circumstances. But some things I can't do all the time because I know myself like I'm gonna want to party and have fun with those guys like that's a great time and you know I've, I've learned as I've gotten older like where I need things to be so that my passions like this podcast like my physical health like my partnership uh, like my friendships like my relationships with my sister and my mom and my aunt and uncles and like so that they can grow <sighs> and <laughs> it's like it's like gardening it's not easy you're gonna get your hands dirty you're gonna you're gonna accidentally pull the wrong plant sometimes you're gonna you know You're gonna accidentally uh, break off one of your zucchini leaves when you're trying to pull a weed. You know, it's it's not gonna be a pretty clean process, but you know, 
hopefully it's a nourishing one. You know, I think I'm coming to believe that this life can be nourishing and that we can leave some of these old models and these old understandings of how the world works. We can let them go because they're actually really, uh, they're not working, you know, like, uh, Jesus, 40 hour work week. What the hell, you know, fast food productivity. You know, we have a life that's so full of shit to do that we, we can't take time to sit down with loved ones every day and eat. That to me is pretty sad. And I'd like to reclaim some of that because my friends in Italy taught me that you can do that with a diverse group of people. I mean, I met <laughs> the Italian equivalent of a Trump supporter who was eating with his liberal friends, you know, like he was extraordinarily racist about people from the south of Italy, but his friends like didn't cancel him. You know, they, they created some space between he and they, but they, like, they all sat down and ate together, you know? Like, the fact that we don't eat fresh food together at least once a day makes me sad. And the fact that white people, and myself included, don't know how to create community in America around something as simple and as shared as the food we eat. It's something we all have to do. You know, that's really heartbreaking to me. And so I hope that hearing this you know you can tend your garden the garden of your mind your physical garden your social garden <laughs> I feel like that's all I'm trying to do day in and day out and the older I get and the more I heal the more I know what I'm trying to grow and it's not just a bunch of ground cover and I don't know what the plants are I don't know what the thoughts or emotions are, where they come from. I'm a student of my own life and I'm trying to get to know myself. And gardening has helped me with that. And so there you have it. That's this week's podcast. Another fun adventure and uh, seeing where this goes. I, uh, I didn't have anything planned today. I've had a hell of a week. It was Father's Day a little over a week ago and that was really tough for me. And continues to be. And so I've been a little out of my, my workflow on the podcast. And, you know, I just kept doing the next thing right. And here we are. A little podcast on gardening podcast on the uh, garden of your mind and soul <laughs> and I would like to uh, once again tip my hat to the wisdom of indigenous and BIPOC people I know that my relationship to the earth was profoundly changed in college beginning in college when I uh, had a professor that introduced me to animism and I, I followed some of that thread uh, by studying the teachings of various indigenous tribes from America and I kind of corrected the history that I was taught in high school and, and uh, 
public education about the way that indigenous people were treated and I humbled myself to the wisdom and the stuff that uh, I learned from uh, Black Elk, uh, the book Black Elk Speaks, um, the wisdom of the Sioux and Lakota tribes. And I wouldn't be who I am without that. And I feel like it's really important to say that with the 4th of July. Uh, the 4th of July have, uh, you know, being celebrated in this country this week, like we are living on stolen land and we haven't healed that rift inside of ourselves. And so we haven't been able to heal the damage that we've caused towards others. And so uh, the work of healing ourselves is really important. Uh, understanding our history, understanding our minds and our traumas and how our traumas impact other people. Uh, I think that's the most important work you can do. Uh, you know, as, as children, we don't get to pick the experiences we have. And so those traumas and those, uh, the impact of those events are out of our control. But as adults, we, we do. And so I think it's the, the work of all of us to understand how our actions impact others and to get to the bottom of when we are uh, doing something that's seemingly innocuous is like holding up capitalism because we don't know what else to do, um, that we get to the root of our trauma and why we believe the stories we believe and we figure out how our trauma hurts other people. And so, uh, with that being said, I hope you can celebrate the 4th of July by uh, educating yourself about yourself, about the experiences of BIPOC and indigenous people, uh, the experience and the trauma of colonialism and colonial thinking and settler mentality and the appropriation of uh, you know, other people's shit and other people's wisdom. So this isn't mine. I didn't come up with this on my own. I think I'm definitely, I was born tied to the earth, but I definitely uh, didn't get that from uh, mainstream white capitalistic culture. I got that from uh, BIPOC and indigenous people. So hats off, deep reverence to all my teachers, to people out there uh, protecting the land, protecting the water, protecting cultures. Um, thank you for all that you've shared. Um, deep reverence for you. This is a crowd-funded, listener-supported podcast, so if you got something from that, please go over to my website, www.turningofthebones.com, click on the Patreon link, become a patron. Um, yeah, whatever you can donate monthly to help me keep doing this, to help me continue to sit down and having having these chats with myself and with you. Uh, I just got some feedback from a friend of mine that uh, these are very calming. And this is a friend of mine who is, uh, I think, safe to say, I, I trust his opinion. And the fact that he... Uh, he relayed that to me. It was really uh, encouraging. I'm going to keep going. Uh, you can head over to 
my Patreon page directly, www.patreon.com slash turningofthebones. And yeah, donate the price of a coffee once a month. Buy me an ice cream, something. Uh, help me keep doing this. Uh, keep sitting down. Keep uh, getting to know myself. Keep sharing that experience with you. You're not alone. I know sometimes, and especially after the pandemic, it's really easy to feel like you're the only one going through these things and the only one who's confused, but you're not. Uh, I'm right there with you, walking home with you, trying to figure this out, and trying to heal for myself and for others. So from the deepest part of my heart, I wish you well. And I look forward to many, many more episodes with you. Take care. Turning of the bones. Bye now.